0: Well, good morning. Um, as Chuck said, my name is Jeff uh, Blanco, that is, or white, whatever whatever you want to say. Um, and as he said, I am the RUF campus minister at UTEP. And one of the things that that actually means is that I am your assistant pastor to the UTEP campus through the ministry of RUF. And so, it's a privilege that I get to be your pastor on that campus. And Uh, Like Chuck said, it's been going really well, and I've been so encouraged by that, and uh, I'm very grateful for Paulette for being our advisor, and uh, a few weeks ago, we became an officially registered student organization, which was really, really encouraging, really great. Um, I have uh, the the privilege of having a really wonderful ministry team, which Lauren uh, is is helping out with that, um, and some really solid students who really love Christ, and want to reach more students with the gospel, and, uh, and we've had a, a, a lunch group that meets every Wednesday. Right now, we've been outside in the middle of campus, and, and that's been, it's been a really great, really fun time. We've been studying the parables, and have a really good group of people that are coming, and um, students coming from different backgrounds saying that uh, since they've come, found RUF, that, that they finally feel like they've found a the community where they belong, um, and, and, and this is just really encouraging, and I, and I say a lot of it has to do with your prayer, and especially from having a, a really solid ministry team that's been really encouraging to me um, in helping reach the students. So, so that's a little bit of what's been going on. Um, if you want to talk to me more, I'd love to talk with you about it. And if you spend time on UTEP's campus, um, if you're there, I would love to get coffee with you, meet with you. And, uh, and visit, so, so that would be great. If you don't know what RUF is, that's okay, because I did not know about what RUF was until I went to, to college, and uh, when I was in college, I was watching this movie called Blood Diamond, and uh, in this movie Blood Diamond, it's, uh, there's these West African uh, terrorists, and uh, they go around recruiting shil- child soldiers, and uh, everywhere they go, they say, RUF! R.U.F. We are Revolution United Front. (laughs) So my first understanding of R.U.F. was was that it was some kind of uh, West African terrorist group. (laughs) And in fact, uh, when we started at UTEP, uh, somebody started coming to Bible studies, and you said, so you mean we're not Revolution United Front? I said, no, we actually have some different principles that we're about other than that. And, uh, and actually, the very first principle that RUF Reformed University Fellowship has is that of Scripture. And so this morning, we're going to be uh, looking at uh, a passage in Scripture that tells us about Scripture. So if you'll uh, look in your Bible or in your liturgy guide on um, the Scripture reading, which comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses... 10 through 17. And this is God's Word. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love and my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters, they will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is God's Word. Let we'll us pray. Lord God, this is Your Word. Your Word tells us that it, is, it has been breathed out by You. And so we pray this morning by your powerful Holy Spirit that you would show us Christ and you would equip us for good by conforming us into his image. So we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. One of the things that, uh, that I've been doing at UTEP is I joined an intramural indoor soccer team with one of the students from my ministry team as a way to meet more students. And uh, our team is called Mexico Football Club. And uh, so obviously, I'm on that team. <laughs> and uh, I was put in the goalie uh, for our first game. And it went to shootouts. And uh, the, uh, the guy's coming to, to bring the ball. And he's, he's coming up. And I'm in the goal. And uh, he comes. And he shoots it. And he kicks it with all of his might. And I'm coming out and trying to stop the ball. And as I put my hands out to stop the ball, the ball comes way too fast and smacks me right in the face. I, my, my mouth was bleeding, my face was entirely red. I was totally embarrassed, um, and it hurt so bad. I, everybody's like, whoa, are you okay? And they're like, can you continue? Can you continue? <laughs> I was like, yes, I can continue. And we ended up winning the game, which was, which was really great. But sometimes it feels in life as if we've been hit in the face by a soccer ball. And we keep on getting hit over and over, and it's embarrassing and disorienting and confusing. And all we taste is blood. See, Timothy in this passage, he's dealing with evil people and imposters who are making his life, his faith, and his ministry difficult. And Paul's question to Timothy and to us is, Timothy, can you continue? Can you continue in the faith? This is his main exhortation. To Timothy in verse 14, you look at it, it says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. See, Paul is telling telling Timothy and us to continue in the Christian faith. Continue in the gospel that you have believed. It's worth it. Then the question that we have to ask is, how do you know it's worth continuing in the faith? How do we we know it's worth continuing? Well, Paul tells Timothy in verses 14 and 15, following that, that command, he says, continuing what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing. Knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So how do you and I continue in the faith when it's hard? I think this passage tells us about trustworthy teachers that point us to the trustworthy Scriptures. And the trustworthy Scriptures point us to Jesus. And with Jesus, you can continue. So we have three points. Trustworthy teachers, trustworthy Scriptures, and third, the Scriptures point to Jesus. And with Him you can continue. So first, in this passage, where He tells us to continue, He says, look, we need trustworthy teachers to help us in the faith when life gets hard. Now, you might be saying, well, here we're talking about the passage of Scripture, of sola scriptura. You know, that that passage, that song that we sing growing up as kids if you grew up in the church that says, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me, I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And sometimes we can look at that passage and say, what that means is, I stand alone, all by myself. I don't need you, I don't need you, I don't need you, I don't need the church, I got it all by myself. But that is not what sola scriptura, the sufficiency of Scripture, is about Rather, it means that what you have learned from others and from the church about the faith, that, that those things are subordinate to the word and checked against the word. Have you ever seen uh, that musical, um, Fiddler on the Roof? It's my absolute favorite musical of all time. And the beginning of that m- movie starts out, you know, it's about this Jewish community at the turn of the 20th century and uh, in Russia, and it, and as they start out singing, they sing, tradition, 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 yada-da-da, yada you know, that, how's, it, how's it goes? And then he says, because of our traditions, every man knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Now, what do we say about that? We'd say, okay, tradition is, is good. But what we say is, no, it's not, it's not tradition, but rather the Scripture. Because of Scripture, we know who we are as children of God and what God expects us to do. And yet, in the context of this passage, this, description, this discussion on Scripture, Paul still says, you, Timothy, you followed my teaching." Verse 10, my conduct, my goal in life, my faith, and my sufferings. And then verse 14, continuing what you have learned, knowing from whom you learned it. You see, Timothy had learned the faith from his mother, and he learned it from his God fearing grandmother, and he had learned it from his spiritual father, Paul. And so, what Paul is saying here, I believe, is that when we are struggling, to continue in the faith, we must remember who taught us the faith. When we're struggling in the faith, we must remember who taught us the faith. Because this is one of the ways that we continue and grow in in the faith. People sometimes have asked me, you may get this question, so what do your parents do? And I say, they're missionaries. And they say, well, okay, what about like, your uncles and aunts, pastor. And then, okay, what about your, uh, your grandfather, your grandparents, missionary and pastor? People say, okay, well, it sounds like, like ministry is like the family business, huh? And I say, well, well, no, not really, but only insofar as that when I get discouraged, and I think about my parents and about my aunts and uncles and my grandparents, about the challenges and the discouragements that they have been through. Their example, their teaching, their way of life encourages me to continue in the faith. Think about William Cooper, who was this poet in the 1700s who suffered from debilitating depression his entire life. He needed his friend and his pastor, John Newton, who's the writer of Amazing Grace, he needed his pastor, John Newton, to remind him and to love him with the amazing grace of the Gospel that he couldn't sometimes see or feel. You see, we need each other and we need other Christians and pastors to spur us to continue in the Gospel that we have learned when life is hard. And yet, you and I know that our tendency is is to withdraw from the church and withdraw when it gets hard. But please, I am pleading with you, do not withdraw from the family of God when your life gets difficult and when faith gets hard, because that would be foolish. And I'll tell you why it's foolish, because here in this passage, Paul tells us that there are evil people and there are imposters deceiving and being deceived. So to speak, there are wolves out there There are actual people and there is an actual evil one who would isolate you and me to rip apart our faith and our life. This is why Chuck and the elders and me and pastors, we get concerned when members of the flock, members of the church, start to distance themselves from the fellowship of believers. Because... We need each other. We need our pastors and spiritual leaders to help us continue in the faith when it's hard. So the question then becomes on this point, how do you know who the trustworthy pastors, how do you know who the trustworthy teachers are? How do you determine them from the evil ones and the imposters that Paul is talking about in this passage? How do you determine the shepherds from the wolves? Well, when I was in college, um, I had a mentor, and he was a chemical engineer. Um, And every week or every other week, he would pick me up early in the morning and take me out to breakfast. When, when When we would eat breakfast, he'd ask me about my life. He would ask me about prayer requests. He would write my prayer requests in his book. And then he would ask me how those things were going, And most importantly of all, what he did was we would talk about the Scriptures. And he would apply what was going on in life to the Scriptures. Every week he would bring to me back the Scripture. So how do you know who the trustworthy ones are? They buy you breakfast. Well, sometimes. I mean, that's how I know that he knew that he was trustworthy, partly. But No! Trustworthy teachers, trustworthy pastors point you to the trustworthy scriptures. Knowing from whom you learned the faith and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. You see, trustworthy teachers point you to the scripture. Why? Because the scripture is trustworthy. The scripture is trustworthy is my second point. So let's take a moment to consider here, because Paul does, the nature of this Scripture. Paul describes them here with two words, in verse 15 and verse 16. He calls them sacred, and he calls them God-breathed. So we're saying the Scriptures here are trustworthy because they have God as their perfectly trustworthy source. They are sacred. They are God-breathed. Specifically in verse 15, Paul calls them the sacred riding. You know, in Star Wars, The Last Jedi, there's this scene where Luke Skywalker and Yoda are out on that island and they're arguing about the force. And uh, suddenly, Yoda sends this bolt of lightning on to burn down the tree house that has all of the sacred Jedi texts, right? And so uh, Yoda appears to, to Luke Skywalker and he says, time it is for you to look past a pile of old books, hmm? <laughs> and Luke Skywalker incredulously responds, the sacred Jedi texts! And Yoda says, oh, read them, have you? Page turners, they were not. You see, when we hear the the term sacred writings or sacred texts, we are oftentimes thinking of this is just a pile of ancient old books that page-turners, they are not. But this is not what Paul is saying when he calls the Scripture sacred writings. When he calls them sacred, he's calling them holy. It's holy Scripture. That's the word. That they are holy, they are pure, they are set apart. And they can be page turners because they, most importantly, in a pure way, speak the truth of God. And so what Paul is saying in a way is that they are completely trustworthy because Holy Scripture has holy God as its holy source. I mean, really? Is that true? God is the holy source of Scripture. Yes! That is the exact claim that is being made by Paul in the very next verse. In verse 16 he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. God is the holy source of Scripture. Now you might respond in a rebuttal and say, well isn't this some kind of circular reasoning to say Trust the Bible because the Bible says you can trust the Bible. And yes, it is. But any kind of examining of of a claim like this is going to be by nature of that sort. And we have to consider the claims of Scripture on its own right. And what Scripture testifies about itself is that it is God-breathed. God-breathed. This is what Paul is saying in the original uh, language in the New Testament, which was written was Greek. The Greek word is a fun one, and it's called theonoustos. Theo meaning God, and pneustos is meaning breathe. So that's why we translate it god breathe. It's exactly what it is. But the word pneustos is what we call an onomatopoeia, which means that the word kind of means like what it kind of sounds like. And so if you like turn to your neighbor and spoke into their ear, pnustos, you can, you can do that, Pneustos, what is it? Wh- what do you notice? You notice breath. You notice air. And this is in some ways exactly what the scripture, it, what it's getting at. It's that, so to speak, scripture, it is the breath. It comes out from God. It is his breathing, his speaking. He is the source. And yet, there's even more in this word in that, that the word nustas, it has a double meaning. It comes from even the, the, the further root, which is pneuma, which is for the word spirit. You see, even in the Old Testament, when we talk about the, the spirit, uh, it has a double meaning. The word spirit and, and, uh, and, and breath are the same it's ruach and so here when we think about that we go back to the old testament we begin to touch upon the power of the word of god because in the old testament it is god's word it's his speaking creation into existence it's how he works as you guys were going through genesis you you see that in genesis 1 and god said let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water. And it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. Or Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord, the heavens and earth were made. And by the breath of His mouth, all their hosts. See, the God who in His power and perfection, spoke the world into existence. He is the one who also spoke this holy, spotless word by His Holy Spirit, and so we can trust this word. Now, have you ever played? Have you ever played the game Telephone? You know, it's that it's where one person has a message. And they tell it to somebody else. And then that person tells the message to somebody else. And that person tells it to somebody else. And then finally, the last person speaks out what the message was. And it's a completely garbled and jumbled thing that has no resemblance to what the original person said. I recently tried to play uh, telephone with my two-year-old son to tell my wife a message just to see how it would go. And he's just learning how to talk. And so I said, Hebron, tell your mom I like you. I say, I like you. So I tell him, and he goes to his mom, and he says, no like you. (laughs) You see, some people say that when God's message was given through human authors, it got a little messed up. Like the human authors were toddlers of a sort playing telephone. They messed it up either because of malice, or to get control over their mommies, or just because humans are small and we make mistakes. And what we are saying here, what the claim from this Scripture is saying is that while humans wrote these letters, Scripture is nonetheless God-breathed. It is upheld by His power. And so the Holy Spirit of God is its ultimate source, and God communicates His message of salvation perfectly and clearly. Scripture is trustworthy. For it is God-breathed. And so, thirdly, trustworthy Scripture. This trustworthy Scripture points us to Jesus. And with Him, you can continue when life is hard. See, that's the very purpose of Scripture, to point us to Jesus. This is what it is good for. This is what its use is. You see in verse 15, what he, he says about the sacred writings, he clarifies. He says, The sacred writings are able to make you wise. They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so it's exactly like that children's song that we sing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that's exactly right. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what it tells us. Scripture, all of its own, gives us all that we need to know about God, about his holiness, about our sinfulness, and of our need to repent and put our faith in him as the only hope of forgiveness and salvation. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the crazy thing about this, this, this thing right here in verse 15, when he says sacred writings, Paul is talking specifically about the Old Testament. And so what Paul is saying is that even the Old Testament Scriptures point to Jesus himself. And we know that that is true because even Jesus himself uses the Old Testament Scriptures to point to himself. You know, there's a passage in Luke 24 where we're told of this account where Jesus has resurrected. He had died on the cross. He was buried. And now he's risen again. And he comes across these two travelers on the road to this town, to this place called Emmaus. And Jesus walks up to these two guys. And he says, So what are you guys talking about? And they, this text says in Luke 24, they stand there looking sad they don 't recognize him, and they say we've been uh, where have you been the last couple of days, man? Well, we know where he'd been <laughs> he'd been in the tomb, but now he's resurrected. They said, "Where have you been, man? We were talking about this guy Jesus, he was crucified, and we thought that he would be the one who was going to come to redeem Israel, and but we had heard the tomb was empty, but we just we don't know. And so he walks with them, and this is what Luke tells us in verse 27, when Jesus is walking with these two guys, verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, He, Jesus, interpret to these two men all the Scriptures in them, the things concerning Himself. Through the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, Jesus took these two men through, that, through the Scripture, interpreting the things concerning Himself. He takes these guys through the Old Testament to show them that it's about Him. And after He had eaten with them and after He left, after they are around the table and around the Word, they have faith in Him. That's when they understand. Now is that not interesting? I mean, Jesus, the resurrected Son of God, could He not have just said, guys, and pointed to Himself, it's me. I mean, we know he, he, he did that with Thomas, but could He not have done that with these two guys? It's me. But what does Jesus do? He points to Himself by pointing to the Old Testament Scripture. Even the, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus teaches the Scriptures so that His followers have faith in Him when their life is hard. And the thing about faith in Jesus is that when you have faith in Jesus, you're given wisdom. Because you are given Jesus Himself who is wisdom. And with wisdom, uh, with Jesus, with this wisdom, you become complete and equipped to do good. This is the next thing that it says in verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that, What's the purpose? So that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. You see, with wisdom, the wisdom of salvation, the wisdom of faith in Christ, of having Christ, that comes from Scripture, you become complete and equipped for good. Sometimes that work of the Scripture in us, it grows our knowledge. It it grows our mind. Sometimes that Scripture is a a hard word pointing out the sin in our life and in our hearts. Sometimes it's a word that corrects our hearts when our hearts are led astray and we do not want to continue. But in all of it, the point is this, that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us like the Son of God. It makes us Christ-like in our thinking, in our affections of our hearts, and in our wills and what we do. And when that happens in us, when the Scripture works in us, we become wise and equipped to make good decisions because we are being made conformed to the very image of Christ Himself. So we become wise in our decisions to do good. When I was in college, I met Matheson, who was my wife, and uh, it was a no-brainer decision to marry my wife. Uh, Somehow, I just had to convince her to marry me, and and she did, and that was a wise decision. But you know, sometimes when we think about really big decisions, we get paralyzed with decision-making. What we want Oftentimes, times is somebody to come bursting through the apartment door and say, I had a vision from God and God has told me that you are supposed to marry Matheson. But the thing is, we do not need God to make those kinds of decisions and revelations to us. Why? Because He has given you Christ Himself. He has given you His Spirit and He is making you wise. He's making you wise so that you can do good and make good decisions. See, we do not need to be told what to do. We don't need to be told what to do. What we oftentimes lack you and me in the Christian life is the courage to do what we know we need to do, especially when life is hard, especially when we want to quit. And this is where for us the Scripture becomes such a gift. I mean, think about Christ Himself. Imagine when he, how He felt when He was beginning His public ministry. It was going to start with 40 days of testing in the wilderness, followed by disciples who would bicker. It would follow by false accusations, uh, and eventually to total abandonment culminating upon the cross. And even in the garden, he wished for another way. So even Jesus, in his humanity, needed to find courage to continue. And how do you think he did it before he was going into the wilderness for 40 days of intense testing? What happened right before then? Mark tells us in Mark 1 what strengthened him. When he was baptized, he came out of the water. And this is what Mark records. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. See, in Jesus' own experience, it was the Spirit of God and the Word of God that gave Him an unshakable assurance of the Father's love for Him. And with that unshakable assurance of the Father's love for Him, He was prepared for the conflict and the challenges ahead. I'll tell you that college ministry is not easy. I mean, there's a lot of fun in it. Um, But, frankly, I'm a 30-year-old man trying to meet with 18-year-old college students. And sometimes it can be awkward. Uh, On occasion, they don't like me or just don't want to meet with me. And sometimes I just want to run home to Matheson and be done. There are times in life, whatever you're doing, when it's going to be hard, One of the things that I appreciate in RUF is they tell us this. They say, Jeff, rest in your justification in Christ. Rest in your justification in Christ. Rest in knowing that you are forgiven and accepted and loved in God's sight no matter what 18-year-olds think of you. How do I remind myself of that? Of my justification in Christ? The Scriptures. The Scriptures. Every day, the Scriptures. And so it is for you, and so it is for me, that it is the Word of God and the Spirit of God that create in us a strong assurance of the Father's love for you in Christ. For it is through the Scriptures that you hear God say to you, you are my beloved child, and with you I am well pleased. It is the work of God's Spirit that you hear Him say that to you specifically. And when you hear that, and when you know that, that even though you are a sinner, yet you are beloved by God the Father because of Jesus, when you know that, you can continue and endure all things. Unfathomable wonder and mystery divine. The voice that speaks in holy thunder says, Sinner. I am Thine. You see, the trustworthy Scriptures point us to Jesus. And with Him, you have the wisdom and the strength and the power to continue no matter what comes your way. So let us pray. Father, would You send now Your Spirit to apply Your Word to our hearts? that you would turn our eyes upon Jesus, that we would look full in his wonderful face so that the things of earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and of his grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.